0: When we come to to worship the Lord together, I hope that we have come with the intent that our involvement will include all that we are. If we are to limit who we are to a definition, we have three essential parts of our being. We have an intellect, a mind the capability to grasp things and to, re- and to respond in relation to what we grasp. We have emotions that reach right down into our hearts, the things that move us that perhaps are a little bit inexplicable intellectually, but there's something that moves us. And then we have a will that responds to the intellect hopefully filtering the emotions that cause us to do the things that we do. You say, why do you tell us that? For this reason, all three of those elements need to be part of our experience here today and every time we come together. Our intellect has to be challenged by the things that we hear from God's Word. We are to be instructed. We are to be taught. That's what Jesus did when he was on the earth. He taught. He gave instruction. And it reached the minds of the people so that they would understand more thoroughly who God is and they would be able to respond in kind to who he is. But then there's the dimension of emotions. And that's the part when we sing together. I know that many churches say that's our worship time. No, it is not. That's part of our worship. But our intellect is worshiping as well when we get to know who God is better. That is worship. We are understanding him. And then through our will, we are reflecting back our desire to submit to him, to live our lives for his glory, and to choose to do the things that are honoring and glorifying to his name. But you don't want to eliminate any of those. Is it appropriate? And and, oh, I, I didn't even put this in. Uh, the part that, to me, really reaches into the emotions is our music. It's the singing. It's There's something about the, the influence of music that really touches our emotions. Where's Heidi? Heidi, you're back there. Were you touched at all by the song that you sang, even as you were preparing it? Yeah. Sometimes the emotions just take you too far, and you... You can't get every word out because your emotions are touched. That's good. That's part of who we are. But it's not the only part of who we are. That is is one single dimension of who we are. We have to also be challenged intellectually. And some people don't like that. Don't give me too much information. (laughs) Well, what pages of the Bible should we tear out? Which part of this don't you want to hear? What part don't you want to know? Tell me so we can make an adjustment. You know we're not going to do that. God said, preach the word. And that's what we're going to do. And then, by the emotional element mixing with the intellect, we bring our will into subjection so that it matches, the, in the decisions we make, it matches what we know intellectually and what touches our hearts emotionally. Does all of that make sense to you? Now, I didn't intend to take this much time, but I'm going to take you one more step. Don't raise your hands. Well, you, you can. How many of you listen to Way FM? Who? a lot of you. How many of you listen to the Moody Station? Quite a few. I am going to make a suggestion to you. Way FM is wonderful in reaching your emotional level. It's great to have encouragement from the songs that you hear. I kind of like listening to Wally because he's funny, you know, and so when Wally's done, uh, I'm, I'm okay with that. But may I make another suggestion to you? sometimes turn off way fm and go to the moody station i am not being paid for this all right but you will hear on moody some of the great preachers of our day and some of them may not be around a whole lot longer you do not want to miss their opening god's word For the sake of only feeding your emotions. Well, I need comfort. Yes. Then you go and you listen to the music and it will touch your emotions. And there are times when I'm going through trouble and I really need to hear that. But folks, there are times you need to hear what God's word has to say, not in some little song that keeps repeating the same lines over and over and over again. They touch your emotions, but they don't do anything for your intellect. And don't be afraid of your intellect. If you're afraid of your intellect, you are not walking in God's way. It's that simple. Don't confuse me with the facts. Have you ever heard that? Well, God's Word is filled with facts. I better get into those facts. Open your Bibles, if you will, please, to Romans the first chapter, and I titled this, Why Pagans Perish. And I'll add to that, Why do Pagans Deserve to Perish? I'm often asked this question, and quite frankly, most of the time, I give an answer that is not satisfactory to the person that asks it. Where do people go who have never heard of Jesus Christ when they die? Where do they go? They go to hell. Period. That doesn't sound fair. That doesn't sound like a God of love would ever allow something like that to happen. Uh, Let me tell you, your intellect had better be open today to the truth of what God's Word says, or you will allow your emotions to cloud your thinking and bring you to an inappropriate conclusion. Those who have never heard of Christ are not saved nor can they be saved in any other way than through Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Oh, there are many ways to get to God. No, there isn't. There's one way. This is part of the reason why we as Christians are being persecuted. We are exclusivists. We insist on this truth there is one way to have our sins forgiven and to be granted the gift of eternal life, and that is when we come in faith to trust in the finished work of Christ as he offered himself on the cross of Calvary as the sacrifice for our sins, as he took our penalty, died in our place so that when we trust him, the Father grants to us the righteousness of his Son, the righteousness from God that gives us forgiveness and life and makes us acceptable to God in heaven, and there's no other way. Yes, we're exclusive. Now, before you become too proud, you aren't the one who is responsible for that benefit in your life if you've trusted Christ. When the Apostle Paul begins to address the issue of unsaved mankind. He does it by first giving hope. The verses that immediately precede the verses that we're going to look at today give that hope. Look at verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes... For the Jew first, and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And let me go back to the beginning of verse 17 and correct this. For in it, the righteousness from God is revealed. Greek word ek, out of, from. It is a righteousness that comes from him. And so Paul says this. Everyone has hope. But not everyone hears the gospel. So what hope is there for the person who never hears the gospel? He goes on then, and he's going to categorize three major divisions in mankind. He is going to talk about the pagans. That's the person we're going to talk about today. And when I use the word pagan, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're barbarians. There is a difference. A pagan is a person who excludes God and the authority of God from his life. It may include barbarism. We're seeing a lot of that in the Middle East today. But that they're not the only pagans. America is filled with Pagans who do not acknowledge that there is a God and they reject him at every turn. Then Paul is going to talk about the moral person who thinks they're all right because they really have things together and they're just good, good people. And God says, there's none that doeth good, no, not one." And then he's going to turn to the people who, under some circumstances, believe that simply by their birth, their eternal well-being has been secured to the Jew. People that he chose. People with whom he worked directly and will work directly again. But he shows that unless their faith is turned to the very sacrifice of Christ, they have no hope as well. Today, we look at the pagan. The person who doesn't have any room for God in his life. And we begin in verse 18 with a very stern warning. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteous or or, or ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The pagan has an attitude toward truth that ultimately will lead to his eternal demise. Now let me explain something as we go into this. When it talks about the wrath of God, it does not mean that God's wrath is completely exhausted in pouring out judgment upon individuals who do not accept Christ, who call God a liar, who make Christ of no effect. That is going to be exhausted in the tribulation. But part of his wrath, the quality of wrath that comes from a holy, just God is demonstrated and what that is begins in verse 24 which we will not get to today. But you can read it. Some of you are probably going to start reading it right now. And that's okay. The wrath of God, a wrath of God, is being revealed against, and then he says this, there are two different types of individuals where this attitude towards truth is being rejected. He talks about the ungodliness of men, people who hold the Lord in an inappropriate realization of who he is. There's no respect for him. There's no awe of who he is. There's no reverence for who he is. We live in a day today when people do not reverence God, and you hear it all the time. They take his name and they curse it. They curse the name of Jesus. There's no reverence. There are people who refer to God as the old man upstairs. Or uh, they will make a reference to God in a joking fashion. Let me tell you something. God is not anyone to be joked about. There is no appropriate way to joke about God. None. Because he is a holy God who is to be revered and reverenced and worshipped and obeyed. But there are people who are pagans who instead of worshipping that way, they don't reverence his person. They don't reverence the fact that he is an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise Everywhere present, holy, true, blessed, good God. They don't reverence His Word. I often trick people in my prospective members' classes, and I've done this with you before. Does this book contain the Word of God? No. This book is the Word of God. It isn't just bits and pieces. The whole thing from Genesis to Revelation is God's word for us today. And we ought to know it. This is our God's word to us. And so they don't reverence his word because his word can say something and they'll just blow it off. Thou shalt not commit adultery. my guess is most of the TV programs you watch, there's adultery going on all the time. I don't go to movies. Sex before marriage. Homosexual relationships. Cursing. Using our tongues for evil taking things that don't belong to us. Go right down the list and people will hear God's Word speak, not verbally, not orally, but through His revealed Scriptures and they'll say, ah, no, that's not what I'm going to do. I have a better idea. Well, then you are not reverencing God and you are essentially lining up with people who are ungodly, godless individuals. And they don't even reverence his work. They kill preborn babies. You understand that every human life is a work of God. There are no mistakes. No child has ever been born as a mistake. Now, I hear people make a reference. You know, they have kids. The kids are 19, 20 years old, and then all of a sudden, they're pregnant again. Oh, it was a mistake. No, that baby is no mistake. By the way, neither is a child conceived in incest nor a child conceived in rape. I know that's hard for us to deal with but every child is a gift from God. And we better have our minds straight about that or we're not reverencing God's work. Not only do they have a bad attitude about truth in ungodliness, but then look at further. It, it talks about their unrighteousness. It says that an unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It... it basically means people who are wicked in their character. They're people whose character uh, really is manifest through immoral behavior. And they ignore the truth. They... they drown it out. The the way it's worded here, it says that they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, they use the behavior of their life to push God's truth down. Do not talk to me about the things that I want to do that God limits. Don't talk to me about the moral issues that God declares in his word because there are things I want to do, and I'm going to push it down. I'm going to put God's word in a box. I'm going to close the box, and I'm not going to listen to anything he has to say. That's how most people are living today. We live in a pagan society. And we ought not act like pagans. In the next verse, he takes us a step further. He talks about the attitude that the pagan has toward light, the the light of what God reveals about himself. When we read in verses 18 and 19, for the uh, pardon me, 19 and 20, because what may be known of God, now listen to this, is manifest, it's made known, it becomes evident. It's made manifest in them for God has shown it to them for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Do you hear what God is saying? He's saying I have given light to the whole world. That light is is a revelation of who I am. I am an all-powerful deity who is righteous and who is glorious. Now get this, because this is where the rub comes. When people anywhere in the world look at what God has created... They have been exposed to a revelation of who God is. They have light, but they reject it. Well, what about people who accept it? What about people whose hearts are open to the things that they see in creation? That's where missions comes in. We are to take the word of God to the ends of the world because there may be some out there who don't reject the light. Listen, they look at things like the creation and and they don't see the awe that should be generated by this. They, They look up at the sky and what do they see? They see things that they ultimately turn around and worship. Um... Instead of seeing the things <laughs> and, and seeing them through the eyes of someone who wants to worship the things, you remember how they worship the sun, they worship the moon, they worship monkeys, they, they worship cows, they, they worship all these created things, and God says, no, I've put that there so you understand my greatness. Have you been following in, in the news uh, about this uh, rocket that we sent to Pluto? Do you remember how long ago that was launched? Nine years ago. It was launched nine years ago. And the computers came on. And now we're starting to get feedback from this satellite that was launched all the way out to Pluto. Nine years to get there. And that is the teeny tiny little solar system of ours. Oh, we, we look at the sky and you are seeing into things that are so far away and we know that the scientists tried to use this as um, a means of declaring that the universe has to be billions of years old. But the truth is, God creates things with the appearance of age. He did that with Adam. Adam wasn't born a newborn. He spoke immediately. He walked around. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be Adam? (laughs) Where did this come from? (laughs) I don't know exactly how the Lord did it, but, but I know that there was an incredible event where God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul and God took from his ribs and formed a woman. And man and woman were commanded to procreate and to take authority over the little teeny speck of earth that God created. And you look at that in light of our galaxy, and the galaxies that are around us. And then you realize that what you think is a star, billions and billions and billions, do I sound like Carl Sagan, uh, Of years away or or miles away, and, and we say, look at that star. And what you don't realize is that's millions of stars that form another galaxy. And God says, listen, if you look at that, and you cannot figure out that I am God, then you have rejected the light that I have given you, and here's the reason, because God is a gracious God, and we are all responsible for the light, the understanding, that's what I mean by light, we are all responsible for the understanding, the light that we are exposed to, And so God does not give them more light, so they are not responsible for it at the judgment. That's why Jesus said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it's going to be more tolerable on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you. Because they didn't have the light that you had. Do you notice how he says at the end of verse 20? They are without excuse. Right there's the bottom line for the answer that I give to people who ask, what about people who have never heard about Christ? They're going to hell. And the reason is they're without excuse. Because they have rejected what can be known about God, and they've made gods of their own. God's powers rejected? Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Did you get that? That's very important. Open open your thinking. Come on now. This is the intellect. There is no voice, there is no place on earth where their voice is not heard. Everywhere. And he goes on to say, their line goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So there is no one who does not have exposure to who the true and the living God is and what they do with that light determines their eternal destiny. Psalm 97.6 The heavens declare His righteousness and all the peoples see His glory. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? And by the way, I've only given you the macro perspective. What about the micro perspective? Do me a favor. Turn to someone right next to you and look in their eyes. Look in their eyes, okay? Just look at somebody. Some of you are not doing this. What, What do I have to do? Come down there and tell you? Turn and look in somebody's eyes. Do you have any idea how intricate that little mechanism is? Do you have any idea? Now look inside the eye and go down to the nerves. Well, not, now you don't have to do that, okay? <laughs> uh, there's a person in the back crawling on somebody going like, no. <laughs> Take a flower and look at the beauty of the flower and then think of the atoms that make up the different parts of that and then think of the electrons and the neutrons and the protons and all the other tons and realize that there is probably something inside of them too that we just don't know about yet. People ask, can a Christian be a, be a scientist? The best, Christian, the best scientists are Christians because they know who made these things. And we don't, we don't fight science. We stand against scientism. The stuff that are theories did you see oh i'm not going to finish this did you, did did you see the bone that they found this week? They found a jawbone um, in some sea somewhere, maybe it was in the gulf i i can't remember where it was, and they say this could be a a species leading to man uh, now now do you hear any operative words in there? Could be. Do you know how much evidence there is of any species crossing into another species? There is none. And yet, evolutionists require that there be a a transition in species. And there is no evidence, even with our efforts, to try to create something that transcends the species. It's not there. It's just not there. Well, listen. I've never done this before. But I can't finish this today. This um this 70 part sermon series. This is going to be like our forgiveness. 70 times 7. <laughs> But I I hope you'll understand this. These things are so crucial for us to understand. If you are going to relate properly to the lostness of your neighbors, you need to understand this. If you are going to relate properly to the mandate to be involved in spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth, you have to understand this. No one has an excuse. But some have never had the opportunity to hear the gospel, the good news that Paul introduced before he explained why the pagan is lost. And they are. You say, all those people in lands where the gospel has not been preached, you mean they're dying and going to hell? Yes. They are without excuse. Because they take the true God and they turn him into a God of their own making. I guess maybe we ought to conclude with this. Let God be God. Let God be God. Take him at his word. I love you enough that I gave my son to die for you. He took the punishment that your sin deserves He died, he rose again from the dead, and if you'll believe me, if you will trust him, your sins will be forgiven, and I will grant you freely the gift of life. And it doesn't depend upon anything you do, it depends solely on all that I have done, says the Lord. See, that's why our salvation is not from us. It's from Him. A righteousness from God. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, then you you have heard the gospel. You have just heard it. And you are responsible for what you do with it. And I can tell you this. If you reject it and turn it away... There is no other place that you can find forgiveness of your sins and eternal life. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't do anything that will gain merit before a holy God who says there is one way of salvation. It's through my Son. It's what I have provided. And you better come through Him because if you don't, you're not coming. Your sin separates you from God. My sin separated me from God until I trusted in His Son. And I passed, just like that, from death into life. And it's because of what his son did that we gather around this table. Let's pray. Father, we have seen a very, very difficult part of your word to deal with. Lord, our sense of fairness would say this just doesn't seem fair. But, Father, our sense of fairness is based upon our own weaknesses and our own failures and our own understanding that is so far short of your infinite knowledge and your infinite purpose. Help us, Father, by your grace to take your word at face value, to believe it and to appropriate to our lives those things that would show our complete confidence in you. Thank you that you have given us this revelation to challenge us to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. In Christ's name, amen.